Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Can you find that back there? We're going to be doing a lot with Romans 8, so if you can find it on the computer. Yeah. And we're going to do the uh, uh, Message Bible, so if you're looking for a translation. Anyhow, the, the Romans chapter 8, um, I was trying to, again, you know, whenever you're writing a sermon, it's, it's sometimes it's like you follow a theme, do you find a theme, do you find a particular scripture, or in this case, found a whole chapter. So, <laughs> Romans chapter 8 is one of those very unique chapters, and the, the title of the, the, the chapter is Life on God's Terms. And if I ask you a question, what are God's terms? What are God's terms for our life? All right. What are God's terms for our life? What, what would be some of the things that we would think of? I know that some, some may, and, and, and hopefully we've totally um, erased those from our thinking, but some would think that God's terms are judgmental, that um, he is hard to please, that um, it's hell if you don't make it, <laughs> not only in this life, but in the one to come. Uh, that God has impossible expectations. Any others? Things? You know, th- something uh, that I'm missing? But, you know, what, what are the terms that God has? That God isn't too happy with this world and he's gonna, judgment is coming. So, whenever we think of God's terms, um, I think we have a lot, and so there are elements of truth in these things, that, that there, is, there is heaven and a hell. There is... Uh, a, a perfect, there is a plan that God has for us. You know, there, are, there is judgment day is, is coming and, you know, these types of things. But whenever we, in, in our Sunday school lesson, we did, uh, you know, it was very much a part of how that Paul had written to the church at Philippi and how that the initial uh, experience of, of what Paul was writing about and how that he was writing from prison, but yet as he's writing from prison, he's writing to these group of people, and that whole letter is filled with victory and, and a sense of accomplishment and a sense that God is going to take care of us and that God has a purpose and a plan for our life and that nothing will separate us from the love of God. All these things are in there. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's in, in, the, in, the, in Paul's writing to the, the church at Philippi. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says... There is therefore, now, there, therefore, there, there, there. Someone want to read it? What is it? There is therefore now, no what? To them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, the very first thing, the very first thing that, that we find in this chapter, that living life on God's terms is that there is no condemnation. Anybody know what a condemning person is? How about what a condemned person is? <laughs> a condemned person is what? Somebody who is sentenced, someone who is, that is in jail awaiting execution, that person is condemned, all right? Now there is therefore no condemnation. There is no condemning qualities Well, kind of settle this. No condemning qualities in the person who is in Christ. How many? How many have? How many have ha- ever had condemning thoughts? 
You know, you're no good. <laughs> you're not going to make it. Hopefully we never tell them to our kids and grandkids, yes, you know, you're, I don't even like to use the word stupid, you know, or you're stupid, you're never going to make it, you're not going to do this. You, how, could you, well, how could you ever think of such a thing? Never say those things. <laughs> you know, never say those things. Never say them to yourself. Because, you know, and we look at that and we look at the Christian life. The Christian life is filled with possibilities. And that's what we're going to see here in Romans chapter 8. Life on, Ger- life on God's terms, there's no condemning spirit. There's, the spirit of Christ is not condemning. The, you know, when the spirit of God, and whenever we feel guilty, all right, let's back up a little bit. There's a difference between guilt and guilt feelings. Guilt is that I have done something wrong and I am guilty of my action. That's guilt, all right? But forgiveness, forgiveness is that God has forgiven me of my wrongdoing. He was without sin, Jesus said, let him cast the first stone. So there's no one, there's no one that is without sin, okay? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Scripture says so. So our challenge is, do we believe that Jesus Christ will forgive us of our sins. That's what we've taken communion. The blood of Jesus Christ shed upon the cross is the forgiveness of our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, sacrificed himself so that we could have a right relationship with Christ. So that we would have an eternity with God. So that we would be in that place that God wanted us to be when he created us before the fall. Not last fall, the fall of mankind, okay? That before the fall of mankind, God wanted us to be in fellowship with him as friend with friend. Sin came and separated it. Jesus Christ came and took away the separation so that we could be one with God. Now... Whenever we have Christ in our life and we have this oneness with God, there is now, therefore, no condemnation, no condemning spirit. If we are guilty, then there is something needs forgiven. And so if I feel guilty, I need to ask God, please forgive me of this sin. If I feel guilty, that isn't God. Guilt feelings don't belong to the child of God. Why? Because the guilt is gone. If the guilt is gone, why do I need to feel guilty for what is already forgiven? Now I must look for the opportunities that God is bringing about in my life, and so I do not live under a condemnation, a condemning spirit that I can't do, won't do, can't make it, won't make it. Uh, that, those thoughts are not ours. Those thoughts are not God's. Those who confess their sins... <coughs> If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our sins are forgiven. We are to have this relationship with Christ and there is now therefore no condemnation, no condemning spirit. To those who have rebelled against God, yes, there is a condemnation. And we also see in this verse, there is a character. There is a character quality that goes with this no condemnation. And that character quality is that we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. 
The Spirit is the Spirit of God that draws us to God, gives us an understanding of God, brings the presence of God into our life. So there is no condemnation to those who walk in the character. It doesn't say that we are per- perfect, without flaw. You know, it doesn't say that because we all, all have, we all stumble and fall. Paul even said, things I want to do, uh, I, I don't do. You know, so Paul himself talked about his shortcomings and things that went on in his life. But the new character that is in Christ is ours. We are changed from the inside out. And how do we come by these privileges? We come by them because of Jesus Christ. And it's not by the law. Now, the law could not make people change. You know, the Ten Commandments, you know, they rule those out and say you can't have those in the, in the schools and in public systems and all that stuff because they are associated. The law doesn't change anybody. The law doesn't change anybody. The speed limit is 55. How many people have driven faster than 55? How many of you lie? Or haven't driven? <laughs> all right. So, you see, the law doesn't change us. Everybody knows what the speed limit is. What is the speed limit? They say what? We'll just say 55. Okay. How many know the speed limit? What is the speed limit? Hello. Hey. Choir. (laughs) Everybody say 55. Thank you. All right. Speed limit is 55. How many have broken the speed limit? So the law didn't make you perfect, did it? (laughs) My grandson says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. So the law doesn't make us perfect. Neither does the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments don't make us perfect. The law can't make you perfect. But, you see, the Spirit of God works in our hearts to give us an attitude that, uh uh-oh, (laughs) I'm going faster than 55 and I don't want a ticket. But I know I can go 58 and get away with it. (laughs) Hopefully. But the idea is, you see, it's changing. When the Spirit of God changes us, it changes us from the inside out. Um, Verses 3, 4, it talks about God went, and this is whenever the law couldn't do this anymore. You know, Ten Commandments wasn't enough. Paul says, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who follow the character of Christ, who walk after the Spirit of Christ, okay? Then, talks about how this happened. Verses 3 and 4. God went for the jugular when he sent his son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of a struggling humanity, to set it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it was, uh, as it was, as it always was by fractured human nature could never have done that. So what happens is the law couldn't bring man back to a right relationship with God. So therefore, Jesus Christ went for the jugular. He went for the, the, the main part of, of the reason that man was failing. He came. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid. And now that the law code asked for 
but we couldn't deliver as accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our, our efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. So, the law says, Ten Commandments says, don't do this, you know, the, the law... The, the commandments for, were, for given, get, were given to us for protection and for provision. Okay? Protect us. Protect our relationship with God and protect our relationship with people. Have no other gods before me. Okay? Don't, don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Don't, don't steal. These are your relationships with people. Don't break those relationships. But you see, we did. And so I'm going to try harder and I'll be better at it. Paul says, embrace what the Spirit is doing in you. Embrace what the Spirit is doing in you. It's not about condemning you and guilting you into this. I'll be a better Christian. You know, I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to, I'll be, you know, I'll do better next time. I'll push myself harder. I'll try harder. I'll be a better. That's not where Christianity comes from. Our relationship with Jesus Christ comes by the Spirit of God, and it is a relationship. It's not being guilted. It's being led. Guilted is being manipulated. Being led is, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. You know, uh, Rhonda speaks of her students, and she has a couple of them here. She loves this class, so... I'm not referring to anyone in this class when I use this story. This is a story from many, many, many years ago. <laughs> no, but it's, it's the same with all of us. That I'm, I, I did the same when I was at, uh, counseling at New Day. But anyhow, she talked about how she caught this one little boy. He had something that he had stolen, you know, and it was in his hand. And she says, that belongs to so-and-so, and it's been missing. I didn't steal it. Well, you have it. Yeah, I, I didn't steal it. Well, how'd you get it? I found it. <laughs> well, where was it? It was in his desk. <laughs> I found it in his desk. I didn't steal it. No. <laughs> but you see, that's the kind of excuses that we all make. It doesn't, you know, as adults, while the de you know years ago it used to be, well, the devil made me do it, or it's not my fault. If if they wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. It's not my fault. You see, the law can't stop us, but the grace and mercy of God enters our hearts and changes us. Verses nine through eleven. But if God Himself has taken up residence in our life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of Him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. What's saying is, because Jesus Christ has entered into your heart and into your life, doesn't mean that we haven't experienced temptation and don't have problems and don't have difficulties that we have to face. But we have this experience of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. I, I go back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, that faith is a substance of things hoped for. Faith is a substance. The substance of our faith 
And where does faith come from? We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. So as we hear the word of God, there is a substance. There are scriptures. There is evidence of Jesus Christ, his life, his teachings, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and and his ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. We have all of the substance of those experiences coming together for our establishment of our faith. We believe in something, someone who is very real. So there is a substance to our faith. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. There is a substance to thinking and understanding I'm not allowed to be condemning or condescending to myself or others. There's a substance to that faith. Where does that substance come from? It comes from God's word because God's spirit indwells in us. We just read it. Now, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead, it stands to reason, if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Bring you alive to himself. The substance of our faith, that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will bring you alive to God. Not only whenever I have, this body has ceased to have life, but this body that is now given to Christ through forgiveness, through the asking of forgiveness and the surrender of our life to him and allowing his spirit to bring in us. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. You are delivered from that dead life. The dead life that constantly couldn't keep the commandments, couldn't live right, no matter how hard you tried, has found a way to live right because of God's help and God's mercy and God's grace. And yes, we may fall, but falling isn't the problem. It's getting up again and keep on going with God's spirit and God's help because of the substance of his word and the substance of that faith that is alive in us. It is alive in us and it gives us new life. It gives us new hope. It gives us a new beginning. Every day the promises of God are renewed in our lives. The King James Version of verse 11. But if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. You see, live life on God's terms. God's terms are about giving you life and giving it to us in abundance. Giving us an understanding that there is a plan and a purpose for our life. And that no matter what happens in our life, God is at work. God is at work. God is at work in us, causing everything to come to a point, a place that is for us to grow and develop. Um, Everything that we needed to be, God put inside of us when we were yet in our mother's womb. Okay, Now, 
we send our children, you all, we all go to school, we went to school, I know some of you went at least to the sixth grade, and, uh, <laughs> kidding, I was looking at Bob, but he wasn't paying attention, but anyhow, <laughs> I get to pick on Bob today, but anyhow, we all went to school, we all learned things, we all, what was that about? It was about instilling, to, instilling in us qualities that were basic, for our basics for our, our growth, our development, and so that we can function as adults, okay, what if not only was those, all that in there, but what if the things that we are yet to develop as a person, as a character, are still being brought out as we hit into the obstacles and difficulties of life? No matter what our age, we, hit, we enter difficulties. No matter what our responsibilities, we enter difficulties that what? Draw upon something that we are either going to be critical and, 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 and condemnation, condemning about it, or we are going to see the opportunity disguised as difficulties. And how is that brought about by opportunities? By the Spirit of God who is alive inside of us. Verse 15 to 17, the resurrection life that you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. <laughs> I like that. This resurrection life that you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurous. It's adventurously expectant. <laughs> adventurously expectant. <laughs> Are we adventurous? Are we expectant? Greeting God with a childlike faith that, what's next, Papa? <laughs> he wants to go outside. That's it. What's next, Papa? Let's get traveling here. Let's got, we got our shoes on and we're ready to go. Our life is without fear of constantly going to hell. Our life is, a, uh, is an understanding that great opportunities await us to draw upon the, the, the resources that are already inside of us. God knew, verse 29, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. God is at work. Then verse 31. This is, the, 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 this is where I started with this whole sermon. Verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? As you read the whole chapter, as you read that chapter, and you see there's no condemning spirit, as you see um, the, the, the mystery of God that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, how that the relationship has changed us, no condemning spirit, walking not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The, the law that could not change us, but Jesus did. Embracing what God is doing in us and through us by his word. God has taken up residence in your life. If the same spirit to raise Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will change you, he will quicken you. Life on God's terms, resurrected life. It's not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventuresome. God knew what he was doing whenever he formed you. What shall then we say? What shall, then, what shall we then say to all of these things? What shall we say to all of this knowledge? What shall we say to all of these experiences? What shall we say to all of the things that Paul is telling the church at Rome? What shall we say to all of the substance of our faith? 
What shall we say then to Jesus Christ and his love and his indwelling presence in us? What shall we say to all of this? Paul says, They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. That we're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. That's severe persecution, isn't it? But you know what? Under the severest of persecution, none of this is anything different than what they did to Jesus. They do to us. But none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. And this is, and, and, and what do we say to all of this? I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. I know I, I preached on this verse a few weeks ago, but it's different today. But the idea is this final thing. Nothing can get between the way that God embraces us. Okay? God embraces us in such a way that nothing can ever separate us. So what can we say to this? What can we say to all this knowledge? I am embraced by God. And nothing can tear us apart. He loves us that much.